This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The big question is whether you're going to be able to say a hearty yes to your adventure. Joseph Campbell no one's ever done this trail. I couldn't find any information on it. I, I tried reaching out to the trail work. They didn't really have any information. And uh, I went and bought two gazetteers and cut them up. And I laid out the entire Columbia River Gorge in my living room and kitchen. And I took a pen and a marker and I marked out a route. And then Liz came to Oregon a couple of days before we left from California. And we entered it all into all trails and printed out a map set. And the three of us just went blind leap of faith and uh that was a wild hike we not really honed the navigation stuff because we were having to figure it out there were some trails that were supposed to be on the map that weren't there that then we had to figure out ways around we never knew where our water was we ran out of water a couple of times i'm doc and this is the john freaking mirror pod Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute, help us out, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right. This week, I have a real treat for our listeners out there. 
Today's episode is a triple whammy. Not only are we going to spend some quality time with some bona fide hiker trash, but we are also going to talk to a person who's made a life for themselves in the outdoor adventure industry. And we're going to hear about the origin story of the fantastic ultralight backpacking gear company, Six Moon Designs. Welcome to the John Freaking Muir Pod, Whitney LaRuffa. How's it going, Whitney? Good. It's, it's actually LaRuffa. I was going to say, did I pronounce that correctly? <laughs> Wh- Whitney LaRuffa. Welcome to, the, welcome to the John Freaking Muir Pod, Whitney LaRuffa. How's it going, Whitney? It's going great. Thanks for having me today. Pretty excited about this. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited as well. I'm glad you uh, joined us for this triple whammy. Yeah, I we always talk about on this podcast. You know, how can we how can we take what we love doing and make a career out of it? And so I'm I'm really interested to hear about that perspective and that path for you tonight. All right. Well, I'm I'm happy to share my insight and thoughts on it. It was a very circuitous road to get there. Let's put it that way. Oh, good. even better. Even yeah, yeah. <laughs> we love we love circuitous trails out there. So yes, we sure do. So. All right. Now I know just from looking at your hiking resume, you've got a lot of uh, a lot of miles under your trail runners. Um, yep. Have you picked up a trail name along the way? I have. Yep. On my first through hike, I have the trail name of All Good. All Good. That that's very reassuring. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, really, I got it. It was the mid nineties. I did my first through hike, and people would be like, "Oh, it's raining." I'm like, "Oh, it's all good. It's fine." And you know, "Oh, this this water doesn't taste good. It's all good." And, you know, I'm pretty much just kind of, it's kind of a catchphrase at the time. And I just kind of said a lot and kind of rolled with the punches and they named me all good. And uh, it's kind of stuck with me ever since. Um, I will say after wow, 26 years of through hiking, it's a long time. Um, wow. You know, you can pick up some alternate trail names too. So there's a uh, good enough, um, all bad if I'm having a really bad day and uh raffle. I think raffle might really be like the, the one that sticks though, because I've never met a raffle I couldn't win in, except for the lottery. <laughs> okay, so a lot to unpack right there. That little that little bit you just shared. I love the evolution of the trail name from all good to good enough to all bad. Yeah, I mean that's uh, <laughs> that's interesting. I mean, I, I stick with all good, but I mean, you know, if you ask my friends, they're like, "Oh, good enough" is definitely like one of his alter ego like trail names because. Let's just say at the end of the day, when I'm pretty tired, there might not be the best pitch put up on a tarp or a tent by me. And yeah, it's good enough. Probably, I probably won't die. So nice. That's what matters there. <laughs> now, all, all three of those trail names kind of refer to a frame of mind, state of being. How important, how important is that outlook when you're out there on a, on a long hike doing the tough things? I mean, if you are going into it thinking, oh, this is going to suck, then you know what? It's probably going to suck. That is very true. Yeah. I, I mean, mental, you know, physical, mental, people always want to say, oh, mental is 90%. I don't think it's 90%. There's a physicality to what we do. Um, you know, I mean, you wouldn't know it looking at me, but I mean, I can crank out a 35 mile day off the couch along with the best of them day after day. Um, but I really think the mental game is at least 50% of it. I mean, and it's not every day, but it's like there's mornings when you wake up and it's raining and you're laying in your tent going, it's just going to suck today. I'm just going to put on my wet clothes from yesterday and pack up all this wet crap into my wet pack. And we're going to walk for the next 12, 14 hours. Probably not really going to find a, re- a reprieve of this race. Today's just going to kind of suck. But if you go to it knowing it's going to suck and you just have this miserable attitude about it, well, it's really going to suck. But if you if you know right up from the get-go, hey, this is going to kind of suck today. We're going to make this fun. You can kind of, you know, flip the paradigm and make it a fun day. You know, yeah. kind of embrace the rain and, 
you know, be happy you're not super hot in the blazing sun or try to focus on, you know, the positive things. And there's just days that it's going to be tough. I mean, hiking for four or five months at a time is monotonous and it's, there's days that aren't fun. It's just, there's, there's plenty of days though in the real world when you're working that aren't fun either. Absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. So putting a good spin job on it, selling yourself on, you know, what to expect for the day. Very important. I love it. Yeah. I just think there's also perspective too. I mean, you know, I, I came, you know, my first through hike, I was 18. I was a, I was a child, so I didn't know any better. Um, And it was the nineties. So it wasn't like we had, you know, piles of information or fingertips about through hiking or what to expect to just, just kind of roll with the punches. And, you know, we didn't have cell phones. We, you know, we weren't on Instagram or social media, any of that out there. We're just rolling with the punches. So, you know, I think that's that kind of hard me up for being able to hike in this new kind of time that we're in. Um, you know, and I think if you were to read my blog or look at my Instagram, you know, I, I don't sugarcoat it. It's like, it is what it is. It's like, I'm not curing cancer. I'm just out here walking. It's kind of a selfish activity to some degree. Um, but you got to have a good attitude about it. I mean, I've also worked as a broker for a long time. So it's like, I worked in a really intense, high pressure environment my whole career. So when I'm outside hiking, doing what I love, I'm like, well, it's still better than that. Like, this is still better than anything I ever, that the best day there, maybe it was better than the worst day out here on trail, but not by much, <laughs> not by much. <laughs> now our 20 to 30 year old demographic is, is tuning in right now. And they're, they've got a little bit of anxiety because they're hearing you talk about no, no online resources, no cell phones. You know, how, how do you, how do you plan for a hike? you know, a long distance hike in, in that era. I mean, that is just crazy. Yeah. I mean, it really was crazy. I mean, it was, it was a different world. We had the ATC magazine and, um, you know, you could write in the back, it would have a thing. If you remember the ATC, you could write them and they would send you a list. And it was basically like a 12 page printed out list of through hiking alumni from the AT that were going to be contacted by, by other hikers, future hikers to help them kind of plan. And, um, so, you know, you like wrote some of those people kind of like a pen pal thing. They write back and forth. Some people send you itineraries, resupply strategies. Um, ATC at the time had a VHS, which wasn't super helpful, but it gave you a somewhat idea. Um, and then, you know, my parents were very adamant. I was going to start with people. Um, and I mean, basically in the back of the ATC magazine back then, it was like hikers seeking hikers, you know, we're playing a through hike. We're looking for people to start with. And, you know, I, I wrote this person. She wrote me back. We shared a couple of letters back and forth. We had a phone call. She put together a group of like seven of us. And we all met like along the way in the East Coast and all met in Georgia. And we started together. I mean, it was just a different world. Hikers seeking hikers. Are you sure this wasn't a dating magazine? I, yeah, I don't, it was definitely not a dating magazine. Now, it might, things might have worked out that way eventually. But, you know, it, it's not, that's not how it all starts. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Well, we're going to get into some of, some of your stories from, from the good old oh, yeah. days and beyond a little bit later. Should we stick with all good or are we, are we going to go with raffle on, on for the, I would go with all good. I mean, raffle's okay. like, that's like a, like, like, like a close friend name because I'm just telling you, like you can go to any raffle. I'll just give you a quick story example of a raffle. Okay. Outdoor retailer last day, a couple of years ago, we're at the Otter Box booth. They scan your badge to give you one ticket. There's about 300 people there. They're giving away like three little coolers and a big giant backpack cooler with like tumblers and all these other products. And I kid you not, there's like 15 of us that are together. We are all get numbers. We all have one ticket. They draw the first number. It's me. I jump up and down. And unlike any other raffle, they start with the grand prize and then give away all the little stuff afterwards. They're like, yeah, you won the grand prize. And like my boss, 
just like dropped his ticket on the ground, turned to my friend and was like, that's all good for you. Just walked away. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. Look at the Irish. I have no idea. Now all good. I'm not, I'm not sure how to take how you introduced that story because you said, you know, raffles for my close friends. Uh, yeah, and so no, you, like, you so you, so you can call me all good. <laughs> There you go, go. No, no, you know, I'm just saying, like, Raffles, like, it's like, a, it's like, you know, like a family name kind of thing, you know. <laughs> Fantastic. Hey, all good. Have you had a chance to uh, listen to the podcast before? I have not. Okay. And that's okay. I'm only asking because we have a, we have a segment at the end that is called the pro tip inside of the week. And that's where I'll turn to you and I'll okay. ask you for a bit of trail wisdom to share with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. So don't be surprised when we get there. Okay. I won't. But we still expect you to drop trail wisdom throughout the episode. But just you're still on the hook for that that official one. All right. Well, I'll save the official one for the end. Then. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Don't 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 uh, don't spoil it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Hey, and this is something you don't know about. It's time for a current event. And occasionally, I will throw in a segment called current event. Okay. And uh, that, that is, you know, if I've, if I've stumbled across something in the news that I think is interesting or worth talking about related to the outdoor industry, I'll, I'll bring it up and share it and kind of get your take on it. So I was uh, going through the news the other day and saw that there was, unfortunately, a hiker killed in a grizzly attack near Yellowstone National Park. Did you see that? I did not. Was that recently? Yeah, recently. Yeah, it's, it's actually a headline today. Huh. And so it's poor guy. I mean, he's a father of four transplant from Massachusetts, I think 20 years ago uh, into, I don't know if it was Montana or Colorado, but he, he was uh, met his wife there, raised a family. And they, they, the wife said, you know, we know, we know that he loves the outdoors and, and there are certain risks inherent with that. And, yep. but uh, he evidently was not stalked by a grizzly, but they think it was an accidental encounter. And uh, he came up on the, the short end of the stick. Yeah, I mean, that's really unfortunate, but, you know, it's part of the game. I mean, I've hiked a lot in grizzly country. I've been rafting in grizzly country. I've spent a lot of time in grizzly country by myself with other people. And, you know, I mean, there's something very humbling about going into grizzly country or even just hiking the Pacific Northwest where you have an ex extreme amount of cougars where I live. Mm -hmm. Just going to the environment, you go, hey, you know what? I'm not the apex predator, but that's just what it is. And I don't know, there's a great book. Um, there's a couple of great books. There's one well, night, night of the Grizzly. I don't know. That's a little overplayed. I mean, that, that breaks down one night in the mm -hmm. 60s place where people were killed. But um, maybe in our break, I can read the book. There's this great Grizzly book I read a couple of years ago about Grizzly attacks in North America. And it, and it outlined 28 Grizzly attacks in North America that had happened. And then it was kind of like the story. And then they sat down with the bear scientists afterwards and gave the kind of breakdown. And I would say in that book, at least 90% of those bear attacks where people were mauled and either, you know, fatally or non-fatally mauled was someone was hiking and came across a grizzly bear guarding a kill that they didn't know the kill was there. So I actually wouldn't be shocked if that grizzly bear in Yellowstone had a kill that they find later on. Right. Right. And, you know, I mean, I mean, my wife, she had her concerns and I was in grizzly country by myself. I think my parents had more. Um, I'm a pretty loud person. You know, I threw I, one earbud in and I just sang really loud all day while I was hiking. I'm nice. a terrible singer. So, you know, I figure that keeps the bears away. But I mean, that's the thing. I mean, most of the time it's that you startle a bear or, um, you know, you, you you stumble across a kill without knowing it. And they're just doing defensive maneuvering. Yeah. Um, but it's sad. It's always sad to lose a human life. But, you know, there's a lot more of us than there are of them. And uh, I hate to see a grizzly bear get destroyed, too, because it just was in the wrong place at the wrong time. 
Right. And you know, with the, the three long, the three long American trails, the, the AT, the PCT and the CDT, you yep. know, with the, the PCT and the AT, not really, I mean, you mentioned the cougars up, up in the, the North there, but in terms of large predators, not too many. I mean, you're, you're black bears, black bears. They're, yeah. They're for the most part, not super aggressive of mauling people. Right. But on the CDT up in Montana and Wyoming, I mean, you've got, you've got grizzly bear populations and you've got, uh, you've got yeah. moose, moose are, yeah. are I mean, moose are, I mean, honestly, I'd rather face a grizzly. I've faced a lot of grizzly bears in my life. I'd rather have to deal with a grizzly bear than a moose. Mm-hmm. I mean, moose are very aggressive. I, I mean, I have friends in the CDT who had to bear spray a moose in Glacier in the fall. During the rut, I mean, it was coming at him. My buddy just, <laughs> it's really guy he just said, I just popped off the lid and gave that thing a mouthful. So, yeah. Uh, and if you haven't seen a moose, yeah, uh, I don't think you realize how big it is oh, because, is, yeah, because I think people have an idea that it's, it's a large deer. It is not a large deer. No, it's a Clydesdale with yeah. you know, a 10 foot, you know, a couple hundred pound rack of just bone on top that it could really mess you up with. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you no, know, and I mean, you, I mean, I, I like plays that of wolves. I don't even, I'm not even concerned about a wolf. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, I, I think a lot of times we, we go into the wilderness with our fears about wildlife. Um, I think that's kind of inherited inherent in this country with the outdoors because of just kind of like how, you know, the United States was settled and the displacement of a lot of megafauna um, during that time period. And, you know, we have this really great conservation story now. I mean, grizzly numbers are rebounded tremendously. Wolf reintroduction, I think, went beyond anybody's wildest dreams of what's happening. I mean, you know, all of a sudden you have a wolf in California. We have active packs in Oregon that just came over from Yellowstone eventually. It's like, those are huge wins. And it's like, I don't think we should always focus on like the negative side of it. I think the positive. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm an outlier. I'm all about trying to reestablish grizzly populations in a native habitat, such as the Cascades in Oregon and Washington and places like that. I mean, I would love to see, you know, you know, the Cascades and the, the Olympics. I'd love to see more grizzly bears out there, honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean, every time I've seen one, it's usually pretty fleeting, except for one incident I've had. Um, and I mean, you, you kind of feel very special and very lucky to get to witness that kind of majestic animal out in its own environment. Yeah. And along those lines, uh, in the article, it goes on to say that there are 727 grizzlies living in the greater Yellowstone area. And that's up from a low of 136 yep. in 1975. So they have, they have rebounded. Yep. And also they want to, you know, kind of put it in perspective there of, of the, you know, there's been, there was 4.86 million visitors to Yellowstone in 2021, 4.86 million. Yeah. And just eight people have died from confirmed grizzly attacks since 2010. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's so much other stuff in Yellowstone that can easily kill you besides a grizzly bear. I mean, I'd be way more worried about a bison or an elk during the rut or a moose, like you pointed out. I mean, those are three right there. Honestly, I mean, you had to do a couple of roadblocks in the CDT in Yellowstone. I mean, I'd be worried about a tourist not paying attention, just plowing you over in a car honestly. Mm-hmm. So the biggest threat to the hikers on the CDT and Yellowstone might be eating too much at the all you can eat buffet at old faithful lodge though, and not being able to hike out to the nine and a half miles to the next campsite. <laughs> <laughs> Do they have a warning sign? They should. They yeah. should. Yeah. Especially for us northbounders by then you're like, Oh, I don't know. 1800 miles in, you can really put a hurting on a buffet. <laughs> <laughs> The must bring gear review. 
All right. Hey, another feature we've been doing this season is the must-bring gear review, and here's how it works. If you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day hike, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So all good. What is your must-bring piece of gear? And I love it when people list luxury items. (laughs) Well, it's not going to be a luxury item. (laughs) (laughs) Um. I'd probably be remiss if I didn't mention a six moon design product, but I'm going to go ahead and not mention a six moon design product. Um, it would probably be my catabatic Alsic 22 degree quilt. 22 degree quilt. That's very, that's highly specific. 22 degrees. 22 degrees. It's the jack of all trade. <laughs> I've had that quilt down to seven degrees and I've had it in 40, 50 degree nights and it's done it all for me. And how do you supplement at seven degrees if it's only 22 degree? You put on uh, all your clothes. That's right. All your layers. You drink a double batch of hot cocoa with a stick of butter in it. You do about 15 jumping jacks and jump in your bag right before you sweat and pray you don't need to get up in the middle of the night and go pig. <laughs> hang, hang on a sec. A double portion of hot chocolate with a stick of butter in it. Yeah, super cocoa. If like you ever got to camp in the cold, the key to camping in the cold is not carbs. It's fat. So before you go to bed, like some people eat cheese. But what fun is that? Like what I grew up doing or, or what I do now do is you take like a big insulated mug, two packets of hot cocoa, and then throw a stick of butter in there until it melts, mix it all around and chug it as fast as you can. And they call it super cocoa. And that fat will keep you warm all night long. All good. My arteries are hurting listening to this. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you're going to burn right through it. It's not like you don't want to do it every day. It's not like, you know, I'd somehow recommend like on a Tuesday in your office. But, you know, if you're sleeping at seven degree temperatures at 6,000 feet elevation, probably going to want some super cocoa to stay warm. Hang on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause the interview right here. I, I go get some super cocoa, find a stick of butter, throw it in there. There you go. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's the hiking pole. Hey, we've got a, a segment to help us talk about gear here. We call it the hiking pole. And right. I, th- I think it's very clever because it's not a hiking pole like the kind you hike with, P-O-L-E. It's, it's a survey pole, P-O-L-L. And I always make sure to uh, explain that very clearly because Chopper, my sometimes co-host, gets a kick out of when I explain this and, and there's absolutely no reaction from the, from the guest on how clever that is. So you can hold the form and, 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 and not, not make a comment, but I, I just want to make sure I'm clear on that. Oh, I, I got it. I got it. So this is the hiking pole. The hiking pole. The hanging pool. Very All good. Right. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you seven questions. And this, these, these seven questions, your answers to these seven questions are going to help me rank you on a scale from one to a hundred on the crazy scale. Okay. With 100 being completely sane and number one being absolutely bonkers. And okay. you are already at a disadvantage. You've already lost 20 points, not because of the stick of butter, but because you are a, a long trail hiker that you have to be you know, somewhat crazy to be a long trail hiker. And so it's an automatic 20 point deduction. So I would definitely agree with that. Okay, good. All right. Just to I'm starting clue, the hole. That's right. Cluing you in on my, my methodology. You're you're there. Okay. Here gotcha. we go. First one's fairly easy. Trekking poles or no trekking poles? Trekking poles. Always. Oh, do I, should I elaborate? Sure. Yeah. We, 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 oh, we have I a mean, little, little explanation they have, there. They make going uphill easier. They make going downhill easier. It's like having four legs instead of two. I haven't hiked since the mid nineties without them and yeah. uh, they're the best. Yeah. I know a lot of novices or who are just getting started out. They, they have a real reluctance to use hiking poles. They, they think that, you know, maybe this is, you know, I'm going to look funny using these. People are going to yeah, it'll save your knees as you get older. 
it'll save your knees. I mean, I can tell you when I'm, when I go to Europe for business and stuff, if I have the option to hike up a mountain and take a gondola down, that's what I do. A lot of people take the gondola up and hike down. No, no, no. Hike up, gondola down. I'm going to save the knees for the future. So that is an excellent point. All good because uh, on the trail, you know, you run out of things to talk, talk about, right? I mean, you're out there for, for extended periods of time. And one of the things that we, we have exhausted is the, the nine best types of, of uh, trail, right? We, we, right. We, we talk about, you know, what is the most highly desirable type of trail? And then you kind of go downwards from there. And surprisingly, the, the downhill, downhill trail is not number one. I, th- well, I, think, I think a slight uphill is, is the, num- say, the num- you, number one trail. Your ideal trail should be a slight incline all day with a nice pine needle duff tread to walk on. Mm-hmm. You can't get much better than that. Yeah, but a moderate downhill or a severe downhill, I mean, it is, it is terror on your knees. Yeah, it's, it's, it gets, and it gets worse as you get older. True. <laughs> True. Who, who's older, you or me? I'm going to be 45 in a couple of months. Oh, I remember 45. That was such a nice decade. Yeah, yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question. <laughs> yep. Next question, boots or trail runners? Uh, trail runners, but I wear a high top. High top trail runners. Yeah. Like Air, Air Jordans or, or what are these? Uh, I wear Astrals. Um, I think they might have discontinued or they don't have them right now. They're, they're one high top I've been wearing, the TR1 Merge. But yeah, I had developed a cyst in 2018 when I was hiking. Um, it happens to be right on the top of my foot where your foot bends, like right here. Mm-hmm. Think about where your foot is. And um, I'd wear a high top so I don't have any pressure at that one specific point while I'm hiking all day. Um, so I've switched over to high tops again and yeah, I love them, but yeah, definitely trail runners are nice and light and dry quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just, I could go on and on about why you shouldn't hike in boots anymore unless you're doing trail work. And did you start off your hiking career in boots? I mean, did you have I to transition over my hiking career in boots? Yeah. Um, my, I mean, I wore boots all through boy scouts. Um, and then when I hiked the AT and 96, I started with a pair of Alico boots, which are a single piece leather Norwegian welt full shank Italian mountaineering, heavy duty boot. Um, those actually got so, it was so wet on the AT, those things rotted out from the inside out. Um, so then I wound up switching to a Reikley mountain two, um, which was a great boot, leather boot. Once again, full shank. Um, I wore boots that entire hike in 96 and in 97. It's good to have uh, a full shank. Yes, it is. Yeah, full after, shank. After reading the uh, PCT Hikers Handbook in 97 or the winter of 96 before I was a ridge runner in 97, I decided I was going to try something lighter and I tried sneakers and it was life-changing. Yeah. So. I think there, there's a tendency for people to start with boots and as they get more into it and do a little more research, they uh, they, they realize the, the value of trail runners and what they yeah, can do I don't for wear, you. Like, I don't wear my high top for anything except I just can't have my shoelaces. Like you think about where you tie your laces to right where my cyst could come back. So by relieving any pressure right there, it's not like ankle support or anything like that. It's just, it's where I need the shoelaces to end. So I don't have any pressure at that point on my foot. That's the only reason. And how I mean, much, just, how much trial and error before you discovered that? Uh, about nine months of being in and out of a walking boot and uh, two different doctors and finally an orthopedic and uh, physical therapist was like, I don't think you should ever wear a shoe that ties there again. I was like, okay, if that avoids surgery, let's do that. So quite a bit of trial and error. 
So any of our listeners out there suffering from the same problem, don't go through nine months of, and, and specialists and everything else. Just listen to what what the All Good has to say here. Right, high top. Go try high top. There's plenty of high top options out there again right now. So there you go. Yeah. All right. Question number three: tent, tarp, hammock, or cowboy camping. What's the preferred shelter system? Cowboy camping, hands oh, down. Oh yes, Best in the world. Yes, unless it's buggy or stormy, I don't set up a shelter. Very good. And so and, uh, go ahead, go ahead. I would, I would say as someone who sells tents and tarps and other <laughs> shelters to sleep, and that's maybe not the best thing to say, but the reality is, you know, I, I, we can't run a company that just sells Tyvek to cowboy camp. It doesn't really work. Um, we'll sell you a piece of Tyvek, but yeah, but I'm usually uh cowboy camp first. If there's no bugs, a tarp guy. And during the buggy season, I'll carry a tent begrudgingly. Yeah, are your bosses going to be listening to this episode? Do you think, Augen? Oh, he knows who I am. Ron won't be upset. Secret, little secret. He's a cowboy camper too. <laughs> In fact, the whole staff's kind of big cowboy campers. I'm not sure how great a sell job you're doing on the product today. Oh, we make August. awesome shelters. When you need yeah. a shelter, we got the shelter for you. But I don't know. I mean, if you've never tried cowboy camping, I get a lot of people come to me all the time and go, aren't you afraid of a snake in your sleeping bag? And my answer to that is I've slept at least 300 nights of my life in a desert in a quilt. And I'm yet to have a snake in my sling bag with me. So I think you're okay there. Um, maybe a spider probably going to wind up with a spider. So some point probably gonna have a tarantula or something probably gonna freak me out a little bit, but if you've never experienced laying in a high desert with nothing above you, but the sheltering sky of stars, I mean, you're just missing out. It's unbelievable. In fact, my biggest problem cowboy camping is when I wake up at two in the morning to take a leak and then I lay there looking at the stars and I can remind myself to go back to sleep in 30 minutes because I'm like, I can look at here until I'm ready to get up in a couple hours. Um, there's something about it. I did it the very first time when I went to Philmont when I was 17. And ever since then, I've just been absolutely hooked. Yeah, we had some good weather on the John Muir Trail last summer, and found, I found myself uh, cowboy camping a couple yeah. of nights up there and doing some satellite spotting. You know, you, mm -hmm. you lay and you're just looking for things that are moving in straight lines uh, yep. way up there, and it's just incredible. Yeah, I love it. I, I just, to me, it's everything. I love it. So, okay. Question number four. I think you've already answered this one, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Sleeping bag or quilt? Quilt. Especially if you move, I move around a lot when I sleep and I'm a side sleeper. So the quilt to me is the better option, but I will say if you've never slept with a quilt, it does take some getting used to. Um, I would highly recommend using whatever strap attachment system they have to your pad in the beginning. So you get used to how you're going to move and can lose heat. I'm pretty hot sleeper, so I don't use anything. I just kind of drape it over myself. And if I get cool a little bit, I just, roll back over and tuck it back and I'm fine. Right. Now some, some quilts have uh, have a foot box that are, is created with a zipper or with buttons, uh, nope. anything like that with your 22 degree. Uh, my 22, I don't, I have what they call their elite model. So it has a sewn in foot box. Um, sewn in. Okay. Yeah. Which I, I, I've never felt the need on that quilt to ever open the foot box. I have a 15 degree by them um, by Catabatic. They call it a flex that does have the zipper and the buttons. Sometimes when, I'm, when I take that in the winter, it can be a little too warm. That quote's really warm. So it's kind of nice sometimes to unfold it. But uh, yeah, no, Mike 22 is just uh, got the, the foot box and it's got the uh, draft color. And it's really, it's, I can't say enough about that quote. I bought that quote in 2015 and it goes on the majority of my trips with me. 
Yeah. And with a quilt, you can also sit, sit with it around the fire too. I mean, multiple, multiple uses. Yeah. I don't recommend ever having any of your down gear or really technical gear with like things like Pertex or Gore-Tex by a campfire. Um, the particulates from smoke do clog the pores of the fabric, making it less breathable over time. Um, so I, I personally, I think you have most long distance hikers you'll talk to mm-hmm. and myself pretty rare. We ever have a fire ever. Yeah. Um, Cause you just usually just know time in the day. Um, but I would not recommend keeping your down by a fire cause it, it does get in there and the smoke and then it's harder to clean it properly and everything. Right. Almost sounds like a pro tip. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you're probably gonna get a lot out of me today nice nice <laughs> we got super cocoa we got the down, down at the fire you're gonna keep a list going on this on the podcast yes <laughs> all right this next question really important for your score so be careful here stove cold soak or stoveless what's the the preferred uh food system stove Stove. i'm old school i okay. like a hot meal i like hot coffee in the morning and hot oatmeal because I'm going to work for the day, walking for 14 hours. I want to have what I want in the morning. And at the end of the day, a hot meal is like having a warm hug from the inside out. Yeah, but that's like an extra pound and a half. All good. I mean, no, you're going to carry an extra pound and a half for just to have something hot. Are you kidding me? What are you talking about? I mean, most of the time I, I used to use, I used to be a big adamant user of the Trail Designs Caldera Cone with a Tokes alcohol stove, super light system. Yeah. But any more out west with fire restriction, I've just gone to the canister stove like most people in the last mm-hmm. two years. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Everybody's, it's all choices, you know, of what you want to carry. There's no right or wrong thing to carry, but I, I can tell you, I don't really agree with cold soaking. I tried it one summer when I was a ridge runner in the 90s. It was disgusting. I don't understand these people who don't want hot food. In fact, on the CDT in Wyoming, my partner, one of my partners and I were not like depressed, maybe a little homesick, but just kind of like, yeah, we need a little change. So for like three weeks in Wyoming, we cooked a hot lunch every day. So we had hot breakfast, hot lunch, hot dinner. And it was awesome. Like you don't even know the joy of eating a hot meal in the middle of the day. It was just so awesome. It's just like opulence out there <laughs> that's extra that's extra yeah it was totally extra and you're right there's no right or wrong answer but there is a 30 point deduction if you would have picked uh cold soak so you yeah, yeah well you I'm wanted not, that one i'm not I, I like myself more than that <laughs> <laughs> all right hey finish uh finish the sentence for me life is better above or below the tree line man that's really tough I guess I'm going to say life is better above the tree line, but that's only because at this point in my hiking career, life for me is better in a desert. I really love hiking the desert among like sagebrush and the high desert and stuff and kind of has that same above tree line re- effect of like big open expanses, and big canyons. You can see for miles. So, yeah, I would say above for me. I may need to tweak that question for future hiking polls. I like the, I like the desert aspect as well yeah. as a choice. That's good. Yeah. I mean, I've done a lot of desert hiking in the last six, seven years of my life. And it just, it just has a real hold on me right now. Okay. Yeah. And last question, the American long trails, the, as we discussed before, the AT, the PCT, the CDT, they all, they all run uh, from North to South or South to North. 
so the last question here is, should those long trails be hiked northbound or southbound or, or flip-flop or different? I think it depends on the trail and the experience you want. I would say, well, I would say this, the CDT, we'll start there. I hiked it northbound. I think the CDT is a southbound trail because you have better weather and a longer hiking window. On a northbound hike, the problem is you have to start about late April. You, everyone says, I'm going to start earlier and I'm going to go slow in New Mexico. But the reality is the water sources in New Mexico are like 25 miles apart. So you're just forced to do 25 mile days all the time. And then you get to Colorado, there's all this snow. And then you're trying to get to Glacier before it snows again. And it's like, if you start southbound, they start in June, the snow's melting, they bomb through. And then once they're through the San Juans and the San Pedros, I mean, they have like all of October, November to hike New Mexico. The AT, if you want to have the full immersion of AT social experiment that the Appalachian Trail through hike is, I would even still the day suggest going Novo, even though it's going to be crazy the amount of people, maybe start a little early. Um, but I think if you really want the true AT cultural experience, Novo is probably the way to go. If you're looking to not have so many people around, I'd probably go Sobo on that one. And I think the PCT is the same way. Um, I think Novo is probably the preferred way for most people to go. And you're kind of walking with spring, summer. Um, but I haven't done the PCT yet. But when I do, I plan on going Sobo. Because okay. I don't want the people. I want more of a lonesome kind of hike when that time comes. All right. Let me do some math here. We're going to carry the two and divide by, divide by three, multiply by pi. Uh, take the square root and you come out with a solid 72, 72, Ooh. just a couple of minor deductions along the way, but still a solid score for a long trail through hiker. Congratulations. I'll be able to All right. Go. Perfect. Excellent. Yeah. Now that score may drop uh, as we go through the rest of the interview here, we, you know, as, as more information is revealed. It, could, it has to be expected. Drop. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Hey, uh, before we go to break though, let's, uh, let's back up just a little bit. We'd love yeah. to hear about your background, where you grew up. Did you play sports and hobbies? Growing up, and you know, did how did you get involved in the the through hiking cult? Because really, you know, that's what it is. I mean, some some organization that convinces you to hike in the no, no, live in the dirt for months at a time. I mean, that's that's a cult. Yeah, they all dress alike. Yeah, there's a yeah, lot of yeah, and no no judgment, no judgment. I'm just stating a fact. Um, I grew up mostly in New Hampshire. We moved there when I was two from New mm -hmm. York, and um, I lived there until I was 15. Uh, yeah, I was always very active most of my life. I actually had my kidney rebuilt in the third grade. I was kind of I was always active, but I would get sick a lot when I was a kid. It turned out I had a birth defect that needed to be re rebuilt when I was in the third grade. And um, once that was done, that was kind of like a whole other change in my life. I had a lot more energy. I didn't get sick anymore. Um, basically, my, my kidney was backing up with toxins every couple months and making me really ill as what, until they figured out what it was. Um, so, yeah, I, I played soccer. I played baseball. Um, I ran. And then... I was, I was a super duper super scout. Um, I joined Boy Scouts when I was 10. Uh, super was duper super scout. Is that a, is that a, is that between Weebelows like, oh, and Cub Scouts or? I, I actually dropped out of Weebelows. I was in Weebelows. I got left back when I was a kid a year. So I was older than everyone. I really was kind of over the whole Weebelows thing. My brother was an Eagle Scout. I really wanted to go camping. So when I was old enough, I just was like, I don't care about getting my order of the arrow. I'm, gonna go join boy scouts so i joined boy scouts um and i was like the super scout and my whole life i loved being outside and playing in the woods but it's like 
that to me was the outlet that was structured enough. It was actually a really good structure that I probably needed in my life too. I was a bit of a train wreck at times. Um, and I always kind of had, that was a good anchor. Um, but it just gave me a ton of opportunities. So like a lot of confidence. I, I would go to boy scout camp with my troop for a week and then convince my parents, let me stay there all summer. And I'm sure I was a super annoying kid. I'm sure they were like, please stay there all summer. Um, so yeah, I mean, I became an Eagle scout when I was 15. Um, I always loved backpacking probably more than anything else in scouting. Um, we did a lot of canoeing to the troop. I was in, we did a lot of backpacking the white mountains in New Hampshire. So that really got me into like the hiking side of things. Um, we moved to New York when I was 15 and, um, when I went to high school there and I played soccer, lacrosse, and I ran track. So I did three sports. Um, but when I was about 14, actually when I was 10, I hiked the Appalachian, we were hiking by the Appalachian Trail when I was a kid in the Boy Scouts. And I learned about it up in the White Mountains. And my scoutmaster, Mr. Walker, was like, yeah, this trail goes all the way to like Georgia and ends in Maine. And I was like, I got to do that. And I don't know if you ever read a book, but there's a book called Dove. I've not read that one. No. He was like, I think when he was 16, he started sailing around the world. He sat around the world for like seven years. And that book, like I read that book pretty early. It's probably like 12. And it was really like an inspiration. Like I got to do something epic with my life, like between that and my side of the mountain. So I learned about this Appalachian Trail. I was like, when I asked my parents, like, take a year out of a school to go hike the Appalachian Trail. And they're like, what are you talking about? You're 14. I'm like, so? They're like, no, you're going to high school. No. <laughs> and I was like, this isn't fair. And I was like, can I go be, can I go in when I turn 18? Like, well, no, everyone in this family goes to college. Like we went to college. You're going to college. That's the rule. Like we pay for college, but you got to go to college. It was like, it's like, well, that's not fair either. Like my dad was like, fine. He's like, I'll tell you what. He's like, if you can figure out a way to graduate high school early where you still go to college that fall and you can pay for it, you can go hike the Appalachian trip. Done. I went in the next day to my guidance council. My counter graduated early. He's nice. like, course load this. You don't eat lunch. Your senior year, you have to take uh, two gym periods, two electives, one math, two English. I was like, done. Sign so me up. Yeah, graduated high school early, worked in the restaurant business while I was in high school, saved a ton of money. I would just come home every week and give my mom all my money. And um, yeah, when I, I got to be, I was 18, it was my senior year. I did one semester. My mother still didn't want me to go. My father said, I made him a deal four years ago. If I don't let him go. He's never going to believe anything we say. So we have to, like, we have no choice. We have to let him go. I uh, love that. I love that. Your, your dad is a man of his word. He is. He is. I mean, I was in sales this whole life. You know, my parents, I don't think they ever thought I'd pull it off either. I think that was the other thing. They're like, well, look what he did. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's how I kind of got involved. And, um, you know, I, I rock climbed when I was in high school. And I met this guy and he hiked the AT in like 93. He like worked out at the climbing gym I was at. And I went on some trips with them climbing up in like the gunks. And uh, he told me all about it. And that was really the only exposure to another through hiker I had. And, um, the only piece of advice he gave me, I was like 16. I was like, Hey, do you have any advice for me before I go hike in a couple of years? He's like, yeah, put on like 20 pounds before you leave. Cause you're going to lose it all. And then some, <laughs> even with the super cocoa. Yeah. I didn't do the super cocoa back then. <laughs> I wish I had super cocoa in the AT, but, um, but all yeah, right. that's, I mean, I was 18 and I left home and my parents put me on a train and I went like the AT and that's what kind of got me involved in the uh, through hiking cult, so to speak. Nice. Let's put a pin in it right there. We're going to take a quick break. When we come yeah. back, we're going to hear some stories. All right. All right. Yep. So stay tuned. We'll be right back.
From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water, using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And welcome back. We're talking to Whitney LaRufa, a.k.a. All Good or Good Enough or All Bad or Raffle, depending how close you are to him. (laughs) And uh, we just heard about uh, how he got connected and involved in the through hiking cult. And I'm always fascinated by that moment where somebody realizes that there is such a thing as a long trail that goes from Georgia to to Maine or from, from Mexico to Canada. And just that awareness of like, oh my gosh, are you serious? Really? That's something that, uh, that's intriguing that I have to do. And I, I love your, your version of that, of that story. So thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. No problem. Now it's a different story than most through hikers, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Now let, let's talk about uh, some of your experiences and especially if you have any good stories out there, you've done two of the three American long trails. You've done the, the AT in 1996 at age 18. Yep. And you did the, the CDT at continental divide trail in 2016 so yep. a 20 year gap between those two. 20th anniversary hike. 20th anniversary hike. So does that mean that we have to wait till 2036 for your PCT hike? I hope it's not that long. If it is, it is. Um, it's probably the question I get the most from people when you can hike the PCT. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give you the same answer to everybody else. When my life's to a point where I need to take another walk of that magnitude, I'll go take a walk of that magnitude, but I'm in no rush. Now, what are some of the, uh, that's good. That's, that's a, I love the way you characterize that. What, what are some of the, uh, the traits of a life that requires a walk of that magnitude? 
Well, what would have to be going on in your life to say, you know what? Okay. It's time for 2,650 miles. Let's go. I mean, it's going to happen before I die. I mean, if you told me tomorrow I had cancer and I had eight months to live, my wife knows I'd go like the PCT. I mean, that's just, it's just no no story. I do want to have my triple crown. I don't want to like act like I don't. I do. Okay. But, you know, I worked as a broker for almost 17 years as a commodity broker. I got out of college. I had no money. I wanted like the PCT. I, I had no money. And my parents, like, we paid for college. There's no money. Going like the PCT, figured it out. Moved out west with my girlfriend. She's now my wife. I got into being a broker. I was a halfway decent broker. I made a pretty good living. Um, but I never really loved it. And in uh, 2011, I said to my wife, I said, I can do this for five years, and then I'm going to go hike the CDT. And she said, okay, you save up the money. So I saved up the money to go hike the CDT. Um, so what's going to take for the PCT? I don't know. It's going to be like, what I'm going to have to have the desire where like, this is the trail I want to do this year. I want to try to do the PCT in 100 days or less when I do it, just to see if I can physically do that challenge still in life. Um, and I'm probably going to need, you know, either a pause in my career, a point where I can take a sabbatical, a much bigger team. There's no way I could walk away from what I have now. Um, so it'd probably be a major life event or at some point my, you know, Ron just comes to me at six moons and says, Hey, you know what? Maybe this is, you should go like the PCT. So, but we got your back for, you know, the next three and a half months here, four months. It's probably what it's going to take. You can take your, your six moon designs marketing gig on the road, on the trail. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, I, I, have the, I have the unicorn job. I get to That's right. do what I I mean, I'm a very good salesperson. I enjoy sales. So I get to do a, a job that I enjoy. I get to help design gear. And part of my job with marketing is I do get to leave and go hiking. I'm going hiking for 10 days in April, and I'm planning on hiking the Arizona Trail this fall. So, and that's all with their blessing. I never had that before in my career. So the PCT will happen, but not right away. So many of our listeners are are so jealous right now. I mean, to have that kind of that kind of gig and ha- that kind of that kind of freedom to go go do that and have it tie right into what you do. Yeah, I mean, it's great, but it's, it was a lot of work to get there too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so you've done the AT and the CDT. Which did you like better? Oh, I I don't I don't know if I could even compare that. I mean, they're just so, so I was at such different places in my life. I mean, eighteen, I was the first time away from home. So I mean. Natural is always going to hold such a huge special place in my heart because it's where I be. It's where I learned to become an adult. It's where I learned to become a man. I left home. I was a child. You know, I I met a girl. I fell in love. You know, it didn't work out after the trail, but it worked out on trail. And you know, I found a dog who changed my life. It's like there's so many amazing pivotal moments for me for the AT. That's like that's always going to be a part of me. But man, the CDT was its own special deal too. And you know, I have the fortunate nature of hiking two trails two of America's trails before they were super popular. I like the AT in 96, there was like 200, 250 people finished that year. I finished the CDT in 2016. There was like 52 of us that finished. They had less than 300 people start that year. So, I mean, once I got to Colorado, we saw no one. And I hardly saw any other hikers from Colorado North here and there. We'd run into some other throughs, but it was very rare. The CDT is always going to hold a special place in my heart. I was so burned out in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say it was 39. I think it was one of those moments where I just went, you can't keep doing what you do because you're not going to live if you keep doing it. It was that depressed. And it was just like, well, let's go do this. And it just changed my life in a much better direction. And it, and it was everything I was looking for. It had trail. It had off trail. I got to bank my own adventure when I wanted. And um, 
they're the sea grizzly bears and I got to meet great people and I made some awesome friendships. It was just like, it was an awesome experience. You have any good coming of age stories on the AT? You know, I don't, I don't know, like not a great coming age. I mean, I did, I found a dog when I was hiking. I, I came into town, this dog had been following other hikers and uh, I always wanted a dog. And I was like, well, I'll take him out of town with me. And I took him out of town for next week. And I wound up keeping that dog for like 18 years. So I think I came to age in the fact that instead of just being selfish and thinking about myself, I then had another creature I had to actually care about and be responsible for. So that probably helped me come to age more than anything. And I also think just, being really young and being around people that were older that had been to college and stuff probably gave me some really good perspective for carrying me through in my adult life to not be such a schmuck that I probably would have been otherwise if I hadn't met those people. So, okay. 18 year old heading out to the AT next year. What advice would you give them in terms of being present on the trail? Don't make sure you don't miss this. What, what would, what would the, this be? Sounds of nature unplug you don't have to have a headset in at all times turn your phone off put in airplane mode for a week do yourself do yourself the solid of actually disconnecting for a week it'll be the best thing you ever do in your life okay it's awesome your favorite memory on the at and probably that climb of katad and that's a pretty it's a pretty solid memory. I mean, I can remember that day like it was yesterday, honestly. And I think it's just the culmination of all that hard work over five months to reach that iconic summit. It just, it'll always stick with me. So that, was that a pretty emotional moment for you? Oh yeah. Without a doubt. Super emotional. Everything yeah. is emotional. Yeah. I, know, I, I'm I, lucky now because I have the perspective of someone who has a long hiking resume to know that when one hike ends, it's just time to start planning the next hike. You know, I feel bad. I mean, a lot of hikers, they, they suffer some really hard post-trail depression. And I mean, I've had a little bit after the CDT and, and I've had a little bit after every hike because I'm just sad my vacation's over. But man, start planning the next hike. That's the key. Just find the next goal and go for it. I mean, never stop. I and mean, that's the key to it. Um, yeah, I mean, the CDT was super emotional. I mean, I broke down and cried at the end of the CDT. I mean, that was five months. I busted my butt. I hadn't seen my wife in five months and see my dog in five months. I and mean, that was an emotional time. And um, I was ready to be done too. I mean, it wasn't like I wasn't, when I finished the CDT, I wasn't longing for like another week on trail. I was ready to be done. I did the last 900 miles of the CDT in 30 days. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's crushing it. I crushed now, it. Yeah. <laughs> now, now the, the CDT and the AT, two, two very different trails. AT, AT, uh, you're spending a lot of time in, in, in the tree line. You, you yeah. are, you're close to trail towns. I mean, you're never that far away from civilization. There's a, these days, especially, I mean, there's a lot of people oh, in, yeah. and, in, now, in and about or near the trail. Yeah. Yeah. Very different than the CDT. Yeah. Describe the CDT for us. Uh, you know, when I hiked, there wasn't, it wasn't blazed all the way yet. I think it is now. That was part of their 50th anniversary project. Um, yeah, I mean, you're anywhere from four days to a week outside of town. I mean, I, had, I mean the, the Wind River Range and the Bob Marshall Wilderness are two of the biggest wilderness in the lower 48. You transect both of them on the CDT. So when I mean, you go out there, you're out there. You're on your own for a week. You got longer food carries. Um, you're above tree line a lot. So you have awesome vistas. There's times you got to have kind of like, skills to navigate and you better pay attention because anytime I stopped paying attention to the CDT and was on a good trail, 
and I saw some other little feeder trail that I thought was a feeder trail. That was actually the CDT, and I just missed the turn. I was a mile out of my way to turn around and go back. So it's kind of a trail that, like, you have to be kind of on it all the time. You're going to be paying attention, like, staying found and where you are. You can't just, like, turn off the mind and plug and play and, and zone out. Um, and there wasn't a lot of people. You know, there's a lot of other hikers. You see some day hikers and stuff in Colorado, but not really in Wyoming. Or I mean, the wind, you saw people in Yellowstone, but a lot of Wyoming, you never see people. A lot of Montana, you see people. And it's really awesome. I mean, not only that, but you carry the lay maps. There's all these different alternates other hikers have done. You can just make your own adventure every day. You can wake up and go, well, yeah, the trail goes this way, but I want to go see this cool thing that's on this map over here. Let's go over there today. Yeah, it was just really cool. It was definitely like, the CDT was kind of a culmination of all the other routes and stuff I've done all come together in a long form, um, which gave me a lot of confidence to do other things afterwards because I just felt so confident in myself after the CDT as far as I can carry seven days of food and a bunch of water. I can navigate anything off trail, no problem. And it just kind of reinforced like skills I knew I had, but it like really set them in me for like this next phase of my life. Right. Next phase yeah. of my career. Now we know you're a desert, you're, you're a desert guy. Yeah. Did you enjoy the desert portion of the CDT more I, than like the wind river range? I mean, you know, they're so vastly different, but I can yeah. tell you, I had my butt absolutely kicked in Colorado in 2016 with the snowpack. And I mean, it was not a day in Colorado. I didn't, the trail was trying to kill me. I can remember post towing in snow with snowshoes on being bitten by mosquitoes with thunder and lightning. It's like, okay, like, what, like what's next? The flood, Noah? Bring the flood on. Um, so to me, like, yeah, when I hit the Great Divide Basin, which a lot of people complain about, like the Red Desert, the Great Divide Basin, I was in heaven. Like, I absolutely loved it. I was like, I can cowboy camp. We got, you know, yeah, there's going to be long water carries, but it's like, it's easy walking. It's sunny. I can see where I'm going. I can navigate. I just really enjoy the desert. Like, I love it. And they're all different, like, the desert in New Mexico's boot heel is completely different than the red desert. In fact, the, if you travel the length of New Mexico, each segment of that desert that you cross like from mountain range to the next desert is different than the one before. It's really awesome. So, and yeah. speaking of long trails, you, you, you know, something about long trails because you were, you were president of the American long distance hiking association. I was, yep. For the uh, West, right? Yeah. All the West. Yep. I was the president yeah. for six years. Six years. One more. Yep. Yeah. Six long years. And what were, what were your responsibilities as, as president of the American Long Distance Hiking Association West? Uh, you know, I was really the public face and voice for the American Long Distance Hiker in a lot of ways. I went to Congress on a couple of Hike the Hills and lobbied on behalf of the through hiking community. Um, you know, I was the person that a lot of media would turn to for a quote or an article about a hiker or you know, hikers and, you know, it was often that voice of the long distance hiking community. I really took it upon myself when I took over that organization to help um, grow our membership and also change the nature of what we we're doing. So when I, when I first joined, it was very much just uh, for lack of a better word, a fraternal order, a social organization of people that would get together once a year and celebrate long distance hiking. And I always felt like you could do more. So we started the Ruck program under my leadership and, um, you know, within Two years, we went from having one ruck to five around the country. And a ruck is just basically, you know, it would be a weekend of workshops where we would bring in experienced long-distance hikers to help up-and-coming long-distance hikers know how to, like, take a poop in the woods properly or filter water, or light their stove, and 
things to consider with food and nutrition and different resupply strategies. And then we'd have breakout sessions for specific trails where you could sit down with alumni and just ask questions. Um, so it was a really rewarding job because I helped really help. I was, the, I was the cult leader of the through hiking cult, I guess you could say. And, um, and I, and I did it well and I enjoyed it. And I loved every moment of it. And, um, but you know, six years of a very intensive volunteer role, it was time for me to step back. I, I needed to have my own life back a little bit um, sure, from sure. that position. And I, but I really, I mean, some of my fondest memories of the hiking community are, are with the people of Walter West. And some of my closest and dearest friends were board members with me on that organization, executive board members. And, you know, we chat every day and it's, it's really nice. So president all good. You, you, uh, you brought it up, you, you brought up poop. So let's, let's talk about that. How do, what is the correct way to poop in the woods? You know, I'll just, I'll just, for, for the sake of time, I'll just tell you this, go to the six Moon designs, YouTube channel and watch my video on how to poop in the woods. It's got all the answers you need right there. Is it NC 17? Uh, no, but I will say it is chocolate pudding, despite what it might look like. <laughs> Fantastic. With props. I love it. Oh yeah. Love it's, it. it's prop heavy. It is prop heavy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. Now, despite your, your, your long trail uh, experience and your your six years of being president of the uh, long the American Long Distance Hiking Association. You've also had some time on on some shorter trails as well. Yeah, I sure have. Um, you know, I used to joke. I used to do this presentation when I did a lot of public speaking called "Through Hikes for the Working Stiff," and these were hikes you could squeeze in between like two to three weeks of vacation time without losing your job or marriage or having a, a major life. So yeah, 2011 into the John Muir Trail. Um, Awesome trail. Probably don't need to tell any of your listeners anything more than that. Uh, 2012, I did the Wonderland Trail. That's a butt kicker of a trail. If you're looking to really challenge yourself, it has just slightly less elevation. I think it has 8,000 feet less elevation of total ascent and descent than the JMT, but it's only 97 miles long. So that gives you an idea of the up and down. Yeah. Did, but, you, ever read, uh, did you ever read Alone in Wonderland? No. By Christine Reed? No. So it, it, she, it, we had her on a couple weeks ago and uh, wow. it's a great book about her time on the Wonderland Trail as a solo woman. And yeah. uh, she points out some of the things that, you know, as as a woman raised in America and taught, you know, stranger danger and always be on the defensive, uh, just kind of what she had to, how she had to kind of adjust her, her frame of mind out there on the trail. And so. And especially very- in National Park, because most you're going to probably camp with people every single night, the same people. So you yeah. better get used to them. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. It was a great read. I recommend it. Oh, I'll have to check that out. Okay. Um, 2013, I did the Tahoe Rim Trail, which one of my friends has described as the Neiman Marcus along distance hiking trails. So if you're looking, this is actually one of the trails I recommend to people. If you want to do a through hike, if you want to see if you like this through hiking thing, go do the TRT. You could hitch into town every other day. If you want to get a cheeseburger and stuff during the day, you could do that. Um, the trail was built with the latest trail building technology in the 2000s with a lot of money. It is well signed. It is well maintained and it is a wonderful hike. So highly recommended. I actually did that one with my dog and um, a couple of friends and it was great. Nice. The Neiman Marcus. The Neiman Marcus. Of hiking trails. Of long distance hiking trails. Yep. Um, 2015. I'm missing a trail there. Oh yeah. 24. Oh, we'll get to that after. But 2015, I did the Sierra High Route. Now that is... Not one I would recommend to everybody. You better have really good navigation skills and you also better be very comfortable with class three, four rock scrambles. Yeah, it's because it's a route. It's not It's not a trail. It's, it's not a, a well-marked trail. It's a route. It's a route. You're on the JMT a little bit, but not very much. And uh, 
our second day on the Sierra High Rod, I almost killed my friend. Oh, tell I us about my, that. <laughs> tell us about friend. that. We were all trying to outrun a storm. We were kind of going down some slab stuff. Me and my one friend, my friend POD from the Trail Show. Maybe you know that podcast, Princess of Darkness. Her and I um, were slower than everybody else. They called us Grandma Gatewood and Tommy Boy. And uh, she was right below me and we were kind of scooting down this slab and I put my foot on a rock and the rock was like the size of a large coffee table. And it was about two and a half feet thick and it just started sliding. I was like, rock, 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 move. And it almost crushed her into ground. So yeah, that one's uh, tough. I, I, at the time I did that, I said, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. I've done a couple harder things since then, but that's, that's a butt kicker. I don't recommend that to everybody, but if you're looking for a really amazing, like three week trip through the high country, of the Sierra, it's like nothing, it's like nothing else you're ever going to do in the world. I can tell you that right now. So, and let's, let's talk about some of those harder things you did after that or, or before that. I mean, you, yeah. have, you have some yeah. first, you have a couple of first through hikes of a trail. I do. Yeah. So in 2014, I, uh, my friend Liz Thomas, Snorkel is her trail name. My other friend, Brian Boss, our tomato. We were the first three people to do a thru-hike of the Chinook Trail, which is a 335-mile national recreation trail here in the Pacific Northwest that makes a horseshoe on the Washington, Oregon side of the Columbia River Gorge. Um, and we literally had a map that was this big that looked like someone drew a Sharpie on a napkin. That, that's how it started. I found this trail. I was like, no one's ever done this trail. I couldn't find any information on it. I, I tried reaching out to the trail work. They didn't really have any information. And uh, I went and bought two gazetteers and cut them up. And I laid out the entire Columbia River Gorge in my living room and kitchen. And I took a pen and a marker and I marked out a route. And then Liz came to Oregon a couple of days before we left from California. And we entered it all into all trails and printed out a map set. And the three of us just went blind leap of faith. And uh, that was a wild hike. I mean, that really honed the navigation stuff because we were having to figure it out. There were some trails that were supposed to be on the map that weren't there that then we had to figure out ways around. We never knew where our water was. We ran out of water a couple of times. In fact, one night we ran out of water. We had my dog with us at this point. We had about a quart and a half of hot lemonade and about three quarters of a quart of water. We got to camp that night. We gave the water to the dog and we all cooked our dinner with the lemonade. We all had like mashed potatoes, mac and cheese made with lemonade. It was disgusting. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so we were the first three to do that, which is pretty cool. We kind of helped revitalize the energy of that trail organization. And they've actually been like working pretty hard to try to get the word out and build some trail and get a map set and encourage some people to hike it. So there's been three other through hikers since then and a couple other people who have attempted some hikes on it. Um, so Holy, was, cool. I mean, was it a lot of bushwhacking? I mean, if, if you were the first ones to do it. Yeah, we routed it on like a lot of forest service roads and stuff at times. And it's like a trail of two tails, like the trail of two tails. So the West, everything West of the Cascade mountains was actual trail mm -hmm. um, and halfway decent trail, either WDFW or forest service was decent trail. And then the Eastern parts was a lot more like forest service roads some trail, some rails to trail, and then a fair amount of road walking on the Oregon side. Um, so yeah, it definitely had its challenges. There was some bushwhacking, but it was really more just like finding our way around stuff with navigation. Had a really big heat wave in the high 90s, 100 degree temps. And then when we got in the Oregon side in the western half, 
some of the trails we were on were in really bad disarray. They just hadn't been maintained in probably 30, 40 years. So they were pretty bushwhacky and crumbly. Unfortunately, some of those areas are still inaccessible because of the Eagle Creek fire of 2017 in the Northwest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and how long did it take you to do the 330 something miles? We did that in 10 days. Well, those are, those are big days. Yeah. Big days. Big days. Yeah. And then in uh, 2020, which was a interesting year to go for a hike, uh, we decided to stay local and me and my other friends, Mike and Naomi were the first three people to do the blue mountains trail through hike. And then also that same year, Renee Patrick Shira with Onda, she also did a through hike of that trail. So she had actually gone up for a week, gone home for a month and the month she was home, we through hiked it. And then she came and finished. She started right, like right when we ended, she, she went and finished the last three weeks of her hike, but it was good because we were able to trade notes with each other. Like she was like, well, the first 150 miles, you're going to, your last 150, you might want to avoid this. And we were able to say, don't go this way, go this way. So that was good. But that was probably the hardest hike I'd done. Oh, I left one more out of my shorter hike list, but in 2018, I did the Oregon desert trail. Okay. And I would say the Oregon desert trail and the blue mountains trail here in Northeast Oregon, those are probably the two hardest hikes I've actually done. Um, for just remoteness. I mean, both of those areas of Oregon, like the Oregon desert trail goes through the lowest population density of land mass in the lower 48. We saw four day hikers in a month and they were all in a mile stretch that goes from the top of Steens mountain to wild horse lake. That is, that, that's wild because yeah. I think, I think unless you're from Oregon or maybe Northern, Northern California, you don't realize that Oregon has a desert. I, I think when Oregon's people mostly desert, like 80% of the state's desert, that's what I've been told. But yeah. I think when people think of Oregon, they don't think of a, of a, of a desert. They don't, don't think, think of that. Of the boonies and Astoria and the ocean. That's right. Lush rainforest. And if you just cross just east of the Cascades, it is high desert for as long as you can imagine all the way to Idaho. Yep. Keeps going. Um, the North, the Blue Mountains Trail was was actually maybe even more challenging. You know, a lot of people, had, like I was like the 23rd, 4th, and 5th. I, I hiked, I, I usually hike with other people. I'm not like a solo hiker. A lot of usually, I'm a social person. I like mm-hmm. people. I like to, I don't have a lot of time to see all my friends. So close friends, what better way to see your close friends and go for a hike? Yep. Um, but when I did the ODT with two other people, and I mean, it was tough. I mean, there's a lot of bushwhacking, really long water carries. We had like 40 mile water carries. It was tough. Um, Blue Mountain Trail was even harder though, because we were the first three people to do it. So we were ground truthing the whole time we were out there. Um, and that's really difficult. I mean, you bushwhacks like you've never imagined. I mean, we had a bushwhack where one night it took us, what was it? 45 minutes to go 300 vertical or 300 horizontal feet. <laughs> that's painful. Yeah, there was about a 10-foot wall of blackberries that we had to go through. There was no choice. We had to figure out a way through it. I, it was it was ugly. It was wow. ugly. We had some pretty tough stuff. Now, that the tour organization has rerouted a lot of the stuff that we went through that wasn't good, and they have a much better route now, and I, I would definitely recommend people to check it out. If you're looking for another hike where you'll see no one, that's one. You won't see anybody on that hike. And it's beautiful. In northeastern Oregon is actually really big, rugged mountains and canyons. You have Hell's Canyons, like you go through Hell's Canyon. Hell's Canyon is bigger and deeper than the Grand Canyon. And it's just wow. a hidden gem up in the Oregon, Washington, Idaho kind of three-corner area. Okay. So, very cool. I was there last year in March and I saw a wolf. So first time I've ever seen a wolf in the wild. It's pretty wild. Coming back. 
Yep. Slowly but surely. Okay. Hey, uh, all good. Let's transition. I'd love to yeah. spend some time talking about Six Moon Designs and how you landed a job there and, and what your current position is. Okay. Yeah. So I work at Six Moon Designs. Um, I started working there in 2018 in August. So I really wanted to work. When I got done the CDT, I was a lumber broker for a long time. I knew I didn't want to go back in the lumber business. Um, I really wanted to get a job in the nonprofit world. I really wanted to do um, like land trust work or like philanthropy fundraising for a nonprofit group, but the nonprofit world is pretty insulary. I think no one would ever really give me a serious look because of a lumber background. They just figured I was the enemy um, to their, their loss, in my opinion, because I think I would have done really well fundraising for people. But anyway, I uh, landed in my first job in the outdoor industry in 29 in 2017, I was selling headwear or for a startup company called Crown Trails Headwear. We were doing like national scenic trail and national park headwear with licensing agreements with the trail works, giving 8% back. And um, it got my foot in the door of the outdoor industry. I already had a lot of connections there, but I needed a job. And, you know, election years are hard to get a job. So mm-hmm. it kind of landed my lap. So I did that. But the whole time I was working there, Ron, the owner of Six Moon Designs, kept taking me to dinner, offering me a job. In fact, he offered me a job right when I got back to CDT, but we couldn't... Uh, I think we had very vastly different ideas of what work of what me working there was going to be like. Um, so yeah, so we just kind of kept the conversation going. He never said no. And then finally he was just like, one day I just couldn't take any more at the job I was at. I called his son. And I said, does your dad's job offer to me still stand? And he said, uh, I don't know. My dad's in Alaska. It's like, you should probably call your dad. Like five minutes later, my phone rang and it was Ron. And he said, when do you want to interview? <laughs> and I said, I'll be in in a, I don't know, like a week. So um, it was good. I mean, I went there, you know, I have a very strong sales and purchasing background from being a broker. So I could sell pretty much anything. I, I've been told I could talk a dog off a meat truck. So that that's helpful. Um, but I really want to, you know, I've, I have always been intrigued by gear and making gear and wanting to design gear. So it just kind of worked out. And one of the hesitations I had of going to work there, as I said to Ron early on, I said, the problem is I still want a through hike. So I don't know what I want to do. And he said, well, don't you think we need someone on our staff who still through hikes and is relevant? I said, well, yeah. He goes, that's going to be you. So it's been really like, sorry, I got a cat real quick. I'm going to let out. Um, it's really been kind of like I said, a unicorn job. I mean, I get to, you know, go to work and sell and do something I'm good at. I get to help design gear. I designed one of our, I designed our first day pack, our YE day pack. That's my design. Um, I've tweaked a lot of other pack designs. And um, yeah, and then I get to go hiking all the time. So it's been a really kind of a dream job. And it's fun. I mean, we have a small group. We're not a big company. Mm-hmm. There's five of us full-time, the owner and a, and a part-time person. And, uh, and But we all have fun. I mean, there's three of us on staff or through hikers. And uh, one person's pretty avid section hiker. I mean, Brandon Ron Sun hiked 800, 700 miles of the AT in 97 when he was 13 and hiked about 1,000 miles of the PCT when he was 18. And uh, Ron, our owner's a through hiker. I'm a through hiker, and our CMC or Ben's a through hiker. So, you know, it's kind of nice to work. And instead of having to talk about like football or basketball or golf, things that I'd have to talk about in my other industry that I was never into, it's nice to be able to talk about like the latest trends in ultra light gear or why you shouldn't use this or why you should use that or have heated debates with Ben about what defines a through hike or, you know, why you should or shouldn't carry a stove. You know, it's fun. It's like, you know, it's, it's, it's just hikers talking hiker stuff. It's a fun time. 
Fantastic. Yeah. Now, is, is Ron the, the creator of Six Moon Designs? Yeah. So Ron Moe's our founder. His show name is uh, Falling Waters. And uh, Ron and his wife, Linda, in 1977, were the first couple to southbound the AT. And they made a lot of their own gear. They modified their packs. They made their own tarp. And uh, they each carried about a 15 to 17 pound base weight in 77, which is very impressive. That is. Yes. Yeah. And then they moved out to Oregon. They worked, you know, had a kid in 96, I guess it was in 96, Ron got cancer and lived, but it was pretty bad. It was like, he was on death door kind of deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, well, let's go do this. Like, you know, anniversary hike so him and linda and brandon went and hiked about 700 miles of the at and then in 2000 ron didn't really want to go back to computer programming so he decided to go hike the pct and he made almost all of his own gear for that hike just because there wasn't like really commercially available ultra like gear in 2000 people forget that made a pack made a tarp made it this made it that hiked the pct and then came back and said i really don't want to go work for someone else i think i want to work for myself so luckily his wife had a job at Columbia and he just started tinkering in the garage, making gear. And uh, that's kind of how six moon designs formed. I mean, he just started working on the garage and doing it himself. And luckily Ron had one big advantage to everybody else in 2002. He had a lot of computer programming skills and knew how to write HTML code. And he set up an e-com store in 2002. It's pretty unheard of. Yes. Yes. Cutting edge. Wow. Cutting edge for sure. So like <laughs> he figured out a way real quick to get his gear to the market. <laughs> so um yeah, it's kind of I mean humble beginning, start from the garage, and then I guess it was about oh what are we in? It's maybe seven, eight years ago. The business grew enough that they had to move to a office space slash warehouse. And um since I came on board, we've been you know increasing business, we've had to double that space even so. Yeah, kind of, kind of humble beginnings though. But yeah, I mean, basically, all through hikers designing gear based on our experiences on trail. That's and awesome. Our, and our overwhelming philosophy as a company isn't. I mean, I could honestly, I could sell a lot more stuff if we wanted to. I could go over to one of my factories overseas, flip through a catalog, go put my name on this, this, and this, make it out of this fabric, and be done. But that's not what we do. Everything we design, we design with the mindset of what problem are we trying to solve for the hiker out there? And I think if you really sat down and looked at our gear, it's like our packs aren't the lightest on the market. I'll be the first to admit that, but I guarantee they're way more comfortable than packs that are lighter that are, that we go up and compete against. Um, Our shelters are massive. I mean, they're lightweight and they're affordable. Everything we make is affordable because we're dirt bags deep down inside. I mean, Ron's theory and my theory are very much the same. It's like, I'd rather sell you a $200 tent than a $600 tent. So you have $400 to go on a trip because there's a big culture of people that buy high-end gear and it just sits in a closet because they can't afford to then go on a trip. It's like, why not buy affordable gear that you're going to use? The best gear is the gear you use time and time again. So self-described dirt bag. I, I'm, I'm glad that you didn't take it personal when I introduced you in the, at the top oh. of the episode as hiker trash. That was, that's kind of my, yeah, that was, I'm not like the that biggest. Was a, that was a comp, of, it was a compliment for you. Yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of the word hiker trash, but uh, <laughs> dirt bag I'm a big fan of. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, any insight into the, the name of the company, six moon designs, where did six moon come yeah, from? Totally. Yeah. It's a question we get asked a lot. So um, 
traditionally in the long distance hiking world, it would take about six months to through hike a long distance trail, one of the big three. So it took Ron six months, like the PCT, it took Ron six months, like the AT. So the six cycles of the moon and Love it. six moon designs. Love so it. I always joke with Ron that if it was my company, I'd have to change the name to five moon designs. It's <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of a dig there to the boss, right? Oh, he says I'm crazy. He's uh, he actually, you know, I'm going to give Ron a lot of props in 2018 and 2020. He supported me for about half of the Oregon desert trail and the blue mountains. So it's really helpful during 2020 during COVID mm-hmm. to have a support vehicle. So we didn't have to resupply a lot. It was a really nice resupply out of the van. Um, but he knows I'm a masochist. He gives me a hard time all the time. He's like, I don't even know how you think this is fun. I was like, I just enjoy pushing myself to the edge and see what I can do. He's like, okay, to each the road. Okay. And you mentioned tents and, and backpacks or, or shelters and backpacks. Any other product lines that Six Moon Designs does? Yeah, I think we're probably best well known for our shelters. Mm-hmm. Uh, our Lunar Solo is probably the one shelter most people have ever heard of. It's a really great one-person tent. Um, we also make a lot of tarps. We make two-person tents. Our backpack line, our Swift, has gotten really popular the last couple of years. It's a great pack for thru-hiking. Um, and then probably what we're, we make a lot of accessories, but one accessory that I think we've really tried to solve the problem of there's only one of these out there in the market, and we've really kind of pushed the the envelope and had other people now kind of chasing us is our hiking umbrellas. So our silver shadow, silver shadow carbon. I mean, that's a carbon fiber, ultralight full-size umbrella. Uh, We just came out with the Rainwalker this year. It was like 5.3 ounces of full-size trekking umbrella. So we've really been pushing, which was for a long time, the niche piece of gear that people would carry a hiking umbrella. We've really uh, expanded that line. Yeah, you know, we we're in season four right now. As you and I are talking, this is season four of the John Freaking Muir Pod, and we've we've got 150 plus episodes under our belt. And there have been quite a few people that have mentioned umbrellas as their must bring piece of gear. So well, I was going to mention that, but I mean, when you said anything, it would definitely be my quilt. I mean, but an umbrella is right there. The umbrella is what I was going to go yeah. with. The umbrella. The thing about the umbrella say is this: you know, who takes a break in the rain and needs a snack? The person with an umbrella. And, and I use mine for the sun as much as I use it for the rain, honestly. Right. I mean, you start hiking in the desert, an umbrella is an essential piece of gear. Yep. That's just the reality of it, yeah. Yep. Well, this has been great. What is, what's, what's next for All Good? What's your next adventure? Thinking about doing the, uh, the Hey Duke? The Hey Duke's definitely on the list. I'd say that's high on the list of trails I'd like to hike. Mm-hmm. Once again, that's maybe a timing thing. It's, uh, it's more than maybe like, you know, four or five weeks for me to do that. Um, Arizona trail has been on my list for a long time. Really want to get that done. Um, the Northern New Mexico loop and, uh, the sky islands traversed by Brett Tucker. Great basin loop. I mean, I got, Oh man, you've got a list. I got a list a mile long where like when you asked me about the PCT, I'm like, you know, the thing I always want to tell me about the PCT is I'm like, I know a lot of guys in their sixties who did the PCT. I don't know if I'm going to want to keep doing routes in my sixties. Like in my forties, I'm really enjoying like kicking my butt on these routes and, Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I have more miles than most triple crowners, so I'm not like I don't feel like I'm an imposter. I mean, I definitely have trail cred, so absolutely, what I enjoy doing. You, you know? have established your trail cred. Yeah, and I like to do the more unexplored and kind of off the beaten path hikes. I think they're really rewarding to go places not a lot of other people have, and it's a different experience, but it's it's one I enjoy. Nice. The pro tip insight of the week. Hey, all good. You know where we are? Are we up for a uh, pro tip? 
Oh, you are you are spot on. You you are one of those rarities that is just dialed in. <laughs> yes, we are at that time of the episode where I turn to you and ask for your pro tip inside of the week. What what bit of trail wisdom can you share with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better? I think that people need to realize that when you go backpacking, you don't have to just carry backpacking food. Like you don't have to eat a freeze-dried meal at night one in camp. In fact, my suggestion is the night before you leave, get a pizza, wrap that pizza up and some like tinfoil, a couple of Ziploc bags. And for your first day on trail for lunch, you can have cold pizza and for dinner, you can have cold pizza. And that is a fantastic pro tip to make your start of your hike that much more enjoyable. Excellent pro tip. And a follow up to that pro tip, a corollary, don't cold soak. Don't cold soak at all. (laughs) (laughs) Unless it's lunchtime, then you do beans and couscous and be okay. Okay. So there you have it. That's it. This episode is just about in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with All Good. Want to thank him for joining us this week. All Good, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? Uh, I have a blog. It's uh, kind of an offensive name, but I'll say it anyway. It's the dagodiaries.com where I honor my Italian-American heritage. Uh, My Instagram is agk9adventures. And uh, AG as an all good K9 as in the dog adventures. Um, or, you know, honestly, subscribe to the Six Moon Designs newsletter and follow Six Moon Designs on Instagram. I probably am more active on their social media because it's my job than on my own. Um, if you subscribe to our newsletter about once a month, I write some kind of poignant piece and share my thoughts with the world for whatever that's worth. Poignant pieces from all good. Can't, yeah, you can't, fact, you can't I, I pass that really up. One a couple of weeks ago about the Appalachian Trail. And I mean, I would definitely suggest go, go read that one. It's a, it's a good piece I wrote. It's not super long. And um, I definitely have some insight there that I think uh, other people who have done a long hike and maybe are in a position to do one said they really appreciated hearing. So, okay. Well, remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. No TikTok yet. All good. Oh, we're on TikTok. Six Moon Designs TikTok. You can see me there. Oh, thanks for the shout out. Yeah, we're right. on TikTok recently. TikTok, YouTube, we're there too. I'm going to follow you guys immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we got some good ones in there. Okay. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakingmirror at gmail.com. The Adventure Media Recommendation. All good. I'm also looking to you to share a recommendation for a book, a movie, documentary, some kind of uh, adventure media that will keep our listeners connected to the outdoor adventure life. We're calling this our adventure media recommendation. What do you have for us? And hold on. I got to find the name of this book. So you want a great hiking book with a lot of laughs and a lot of adventures. I would recommend this book. I hike. It's by uh, Lawton Grittner, one of the hosts of the, of the uh, trail show. And um, this is 18 short stories of 10,000 miles, miles of through hiking. And they are just some of the greatest truthful, funny, and sad tales of through hiking you'll ever read. Great book. The book I was talking about earlier, Mark of the Grizzly. If you want to read a book and get to know grizzly bear, grizzly bear behavior, and how to maybe avoid being one of the statistics in this book, I would uh, I would read this book. It's a good book. It's by uh, Scott McMillan, and uh, it's a really cool read. Fantastic. What have we not asked you? And before we wrap things up, I've just got one more segment for you called, what have I not asked you that you're dying to tell us about? What did we miss? 
What did we miss? I don't know if we missed much. That was pretty thorough. I would just say, um, you know, I think I think as a long distance hiker, I'd be remiss not to say to people that long distance hiking is a real gift. It's a gift to yourself. It's kind of actually a very selfish in, endeavor because it does take a tremendous amount of time. Um, but it can also be very rewarding for what it teaches you. And I think the biggest thing it's ever taught me in life is to be humble. Um, which anybody who knows me would laugh to say that I actually say that because I think people view me as being very confident and maybe even cocky at times. But um, I know my place in this world because I've had Mother Nature put me in my place more than a few times. And um, she doesn't care what my plans are when it's I step out foot outside. And um, I think that's really important to remember as a through hicker that, you know, it is a vacation. It, it, it is a great activity, but um, like I always tell people, like, we're not solving, we're not curing cancer here. We're just going for a walk. Um, so let's keep it all in perspective. But, uh, you know, really, like I said earlier, unplug, take the time to unplug. Uh, the greatest thing I did on the CDT was at AT&T for cell service. And my phone did not work in the entire state of New Mexico. So while other people were checking Instagram on trail. I was like, I got nothing. I'm going to read a map. And it was awesome. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, that is a wrap from the John Freaking Mirror studio. Any shout outs to friends and family? All good? I'd love to just say hi to, uh, yeah, I mean, mom and dad. Thanks for all you've done in life and the fam, my wife, Susie, who supports me. But uh, also a big shout out to uh, Snorkel and the Punisher and Drop and Roll and, you know, Cheesy and Buttercup like the CDT with and all the other people I've shared a lot of miles over the years on trails with. Uh, you're all part of my life and I thank you all for being there for me. Okay. Well, thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you almost ran over your hiking buddy while surfing on a coffee table sized rock down the side of a mountain. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck.